sitting here with legend Jim Zemanski. Jim, tell us a little bit about how you got your start in broadcasting. Well, it all began back in uh, in the last millennium, actually. That would be <laughs> in the 1900s. Many years ago. Uh, many years ago. They, they actually did have radio back in, in the 70s. Uh, I began uh, a radio career in uh, 1975, actually. And you have to understand that in the 70s, that was the very beginning of the FM radio band. Okay. So the opportunity I had was kind of unique in that uh, I tried out uh, for... Uh, uh, so work on stations on the FM band. It was kind of easy to get in the FM because since it was so new, very few people had FM. So yeah. they were willing to hire people uh, who had very little experience because they knew they don't have a big audience at all at that time. They were just developing. So uh, the reason I was able to luck out right place, right time, as they always say, I did start off here in the Cleveland market. And the reason, Brandon, that I was able to start off in Cleveland is because it was on the FM and nobody had FMs yet. I, mean, I would tell my family and friends, I have a radio show. And they'd say, where can we hear it? Well, it's on the FM. Oh, where do you get an <laughs> FM? Yeah. So uh, all the automobiles still had AM radios in there. Yeah. Uh, all the kids uh, from the 60s still had their little transistor radios. That was, those were AM radios. Oh, yeah. So it was very, uh, so, but the, the nice thing was that I was, it, it was like me getting my first job at a small market somewhere. Okay. Exactly, the exact same thing. So I was able to practice my skills, make my mistakes without being fired right away because they knew, hey, nobody's listening to this guy anyway, you know. Yeah. So I was able to develop my, my character, my uh, on-air personality and so forth uh, over the first few years without that, that kind of worry. Of course, eventually, I was able to, to get better and better so that by the time more people were starting to listen to FM, I was at the place where I should be yeah. you know, that way, too. Exactly, yeah. So, so that's basically, I started here in Cleveland, but in 75 on the FM, which was which is kind of the beginning there. And, and the station I started with, by the way, was called WKSW in Cleveland. Okay. It was uh, on, on, the, on the dial, you'd find it at, at 100 on the FM dial. Okay. Well, that was 1975. By 1980, radios were a little bit more sophisticated, and they were starting to get the point, points in there, you know, like a point 0.5, point 0.2, and so forth. And so uh, by 1980, five years later, they were able to, uh, actually they switched that format. The format I started off was called Beautiful Music, which is elevator music. Uh. It's that kind of stuff, okay? And so, hey, it's a, it's a job though, you know? Yeah. You, you take, uh, what you learn in broadcasting is you, whatever it is, you take it. No matter if you don't care for it or not, you take it because that's a job in broadcasting. Absolutely. So I took it and uh, for the first five years it was that, that easy listening kind of instrumental music like in elevators. And then in 1980, uh, what they did was switch the format to country music here in Cleveland. It was on the FM. Uh, the only station in town at that time was WHK on the AM playing country music, but we had a, a being on the FM. It was a better sound. It was an FM. Uh, it was an FM stereo sound. Yeah. So the sound quality was a lot better. So people who liked country music eventually start finding out about it. They start buying the FM radios or FM converters and start listening. And uh, eventually, what we did was uh, we changed the. Uh, the, uh, after we became a country station, WKSW became KS100, and then in 1984, four years later, uh, we decided it would still stay country, but uh, the FCC in 1984 uh, made a ruling that if a company owned two stations in the same broadcast market, and we were owned by Nationwide Communications, part of the Nationwide Insurance Company, 
We were owned by Nationwide Communications, and they said in 1984, if, if Nationwide or any company owns two stations, you can use the same call letters on both your stations in the same market. So they owned not only our WKSW on the FM, but Nationwide also owned the mighty 1220 WGARAM with John Lanigan, Fig Newton, the real Bob James, and so forth. That was a powerhouse station for them. But they said, you know what, since we can use the same call letters, we have our 1220 AM WGAR with Lanigan. Let's also make our FM WGAR also. And because people have more sophisticated radios, instead of 100 on the FM, it's actually a little bit in front of that, 99.5. So it became, in 1984, WGAR 99.5 FM. It was already playing country music yeah. for four years, but that's when it became GAR FM. Are they still... Are they still able to do that, to yeah. use the same call letters? Yeah, yeah. stations can use the same call letters. I know in, in Youngstown, where I'm from, there's a TV station called WKBN. Mm -hmm. There's also an AM radio station called WKBN. So mm -hmm. I wasn't sure how that works. Same ownership. Okay. There, there's, there's yeah, if you have an AM and FM, you have a TV and an FM or whatever, you, okay. if, you, if you own more than one in the same market, you can use the same letters because you own them both. Yeah. And that was uh, that was so that was a change made in 1984, and so that, that's what I did. So 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 I was there at the birth of WGAR FM in now, Cleveland. How did you make the transition from radio to television? Okay, well, it was it wasn't a switch from two; it was a, a simultaneous. Okay, it was uh, on the radio and TV at the same time. Uh, what happened? I, I just became acquainted with uh, Chuck Shadowski, who happened to be producing the Big Chuck and Little John show, and uh, he saw something I did uh, in another program, and he said. Would you be interested in coming and uh, working with us on our show a little bit? So, so I did, and this was in 19. So this was 1978, 1978, and uh, so I came there. I started doing their audience warm-ups for them because they had, you know, they'd always have like a Cub Scouts or somebody yeah. in the audience, but the kid just kind of sat there and twiddled their thumbs, and they, you know, probably the Cub Master says, "Now you behave, don't don't make noise," or you know. But, and, and uh, I was there, and I, I just got them to start laughing and clapping and, you know, different breaks and so forth. And uh, Chuck liked that. And his partner at the time was Houlihan, yeah. the original partner, Houlihan, Big Chuck. And they, they liked that, that I was able to work with the audience. And, and I, I was able to do that because I was on the radio. I was, you know, I was, I was able to work with people. And so they invited me to come on board uh, if, if I'd like to come for the taping of each show and work with the audience. So they eventually called me their poor man's Ed McMahon, who was Johnny Carson's sidekick. Yeah. And, and so I became their poor man's Ed McMahon doing the audience warm-ups. And since I was there so often, they start using me in skits also uh, because they would need a different character or whatever for a skit they were doing. I uh, got to the point where I had so many skits under my belt, they were able to start uh, doing an annual Jim Szymanski night on the Big Chuck and Little John show where I was able to co-host the show. And I was able to, um, they just showed all of the skits that I was in for that, that particular show once a year. Uh, I even brought a little visual that you can take a look. This, this, is, uh, this is actually a montage of pictures. Can they see that there? I don't know, is that in there? Okay. This way? The other left. <laughs> Oh, here. Here we go. Okay. This is actually a montage of photos of some of the skits that I was in. This, this montage, uh, uh, they gave, uh, gave me, and all those who did skits for the show, they gave them all to us. And once a year at our Goularty Fest, which is right around Halloween time, we have these so that when the folks come to Goularty Fest, uh, if they want to get our autograph, we have something to sign for them, you know. And it has just some of the different skits I did for the show. There's Cuyahoga Jones skits here. This is a spoof on a commercial, Mrs. Kelka's Pie Crust. Uh, here's a, a spoof as a... Uh, uh, 
t a radio, uh, a television, a news anchor uh, doing a story about the Goodyear blimp crash and such. You know, and so so these are kind of some of the things I did there on that uh, on that for, show. For people who may not know who Goulardi is, could you explain a little bit about the history of Goulardi a little bit? Uh, yeah, I could. Yeah, that all started in 1963. Um, back then in the 60s, a TV station would buy a movie package from movie distributors. Yeah. They would buy a package, and they'd probably get maybe. Uh, uh, 40 movies, that's a cluster of 40 movies in that package, okay? And they, they were allowed to maybe show each one twice during the, that six-month period or whatever. Well, some of those obviously were the block, blockbusters that they could really get some big money at, primetime movies and such. Maybe their Saturday night block or whatever. And they can get some good, uh, good uh, sales. You know, salespeople could sell those movies very good. They were the big blockbusters. Yeah. But along with those came the, the B movies, which they could uh, maybe uh, put on here or there as Phil and so forth. And then there came the C movies. Uh, now the C movies, favorites, yeah, the they C were, movies. but they were like the old sci-fi and the, you know, the attack of the crab monsters and uh, you know, the women of Venus. And they, I mean, think, you know, they're really the, the C grade oh, yeah. movies. What do you do with those? How do you package those for your audience anywhere, you know? Well, they came up with the idea, hey, let's, let's have one of our staff announcers uh, just host a, a, a Friday night show after the news, you know, late night, 1130, uh, when nobody's going to be watching anyway, and we'll just have them show those movies and kind of intersperse in between with funny stuff and all that stuff. So the, one of their announcers on duty was a fellow named Ernie Anderson uh, at uh, WJW. And uh, he was an announcer, and he was doing a, not only was he a staff announcer for to Fox 8, but he also did a lot of freelance commercial work, too, uh, not only in Cleveland, but in other areas around yeah, Northeast Ohio. Yeah. He was very good at, at, at uh, announcing. And, he, and when they approached him about this, and, uh, you know, uh, hosting a, like a, a mo movie thing, uh, the, the, that Elvira was popular at that time on the West Coast. They said, maybe something like Elvira does uh, in California there, uh, like you want to do a horror kind of thing or whatever. And he said, you know, listen, uh, he says, uh, uh, I'll host the show, because he was under contract. So they, ha they figured, let's use him for something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they, uh, he said, I'll, do, I'll, I'll, I'll host a show at night and show the schlocky movies, but he said, uh, for one thing, uh, I can't be myself because I have a lot of good clients who pay me big money to do voiceover work on their commercials and such. So I, I got to take on a persona. And they said, that's fine. You can do an Elvira or whatever, you know, anything like that, Dracula, whatever. And so he came up with this. Uh, it was the 60s, 63. So it was the, the hippie movement and so forth. So he, he kind of put on like a little, they call it a fright wig, just kind of a floppy kind of a wig and a little goatee and a mustache, like a beatnik kind of thing, yeah. character. And did uh, th those kind of things and, and put on a lab coat, like a white lab coat, and just put a lot of uh, buttons all over it, a lot of political buttons and things. And that was his, that was, ba but in other words, he didn't look like himself yeah. because he didn't want the people who were uh, his clients, who, who did, uh, he did uh, commercial work for, to, to know what, what it's all about, or that it was him. And so uh, he, uh, he started that, and uh, he, uh, he didn't want to be a ghoul, a ghoulish, uh, I don't want to be a ghoul. But uh, he came up with the idea of uh, putting a little, uh, um, if you, some people say it was like an Italian sound to it, and he put the arty at the end of ghoul, so he became ghoulardi. Well, the thing is, they don't, 
who, you know, that was just a, a, a lark. They, they had no idea if this would take off or not. But his, his uh, character, his uh, kind of hippie character, and the, the catchphrases he uses, hey, cool it with the boom booms, uh, you know, because kids would send in firecrackers and he'd light those on set and everything. And he'd cool it with the boom booms and, uh, hey, uh, grass, uh, uh, scratch glass and, uh, you know, uh, uh, hey, you finks, which is kniff backwards. He would actually use kniff, which was fink backwards, you know, and those kind of things. So he, has, he developed a lot of catchphrases. And all of a sudden, it started catching on with the teens and, and, and young adults and so forth. And before you know it, he starts getting more and more people watching, so much so that this has been documented. In Cleveland, he had such a high rating after about the first year of developing an audience that within about the first year of being on the air, he literally was the only locally produced uh, TV show on Friday nights in the entire country that had higher ratings than The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He outrated The Tonight Show on Friday nights in Cleveland, the only place in the country that had higher ratings than Carson on Friday nights. And, uh, and here's the interesting thing. The people who remember Goularty, who started all this uh, Friday night uh, movie hosting, those who remember him think he, was, he must have been on for like, you know, uh, 10, 15 years or something uh, because he was such a phenomenon. Uh, he, was, he was so popular, even the Cleveland police said the crime rate in Cleveland went down on Friday nights uh, because he was on. And they waited until after his show was over before they went out and, and burglarized houses, you know. So even the crime rate went down because even the crooks wanted to stay home and watch him. Anyway, <laughs> anyway so, so that was the beginning of it. But he was only here three and a half years. After, uh, in, in 1966, his good buddy and friend that he worked with, Tim Conway, who already went to California, Tim Conway said, hey, come over. Uh, Tim Conway had just finished doing the uh, McHale's Navy program, and he was now on the Carol Burnett Show. Yeah. He says, hey, come to California. I can get you as an announcer for Carol Burnett right away because she's looking for an announcer for the show. And then you can do some commercial work here and such. So, so uh, he left, and Houlihan and Big Chuck took over, and the rest is history. And That's the short answer. <laughs> and most people who have heard the name probably recognize it from Drew Carey show. Drew Carey used to wear the, the Goulardi shirt. Yeah, he did. Uh, Drew, Carey, Drew Carey grew up on the west side there, and he was a big fan of uh, oh, yeah. Big Chuck and Houlihan, Big Chuck, Houlihan and Big Chuck, Goulardi. Yeah. He was a big fan of theirs, so uh, Chuck and John just, uh, he used to watch him all the time, so Chuck and John sent him some uh, uh, you know, merchandise stuff, and, and he got the t-shirt and he wore it, or a sweatshirt, whatever it was. He wore that on, the, uh, on his show, the Drew Carey show. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And you, uh, you were inducted into the Broadcasting Hall of Fame in 2008, right? It was in uh, 1995. Oh, it was 95. Okay. Yeah, 1995, yeah. So, um, what was your reaction when you found out that you were being inducted? Well, I mean, that's got to be a big thing. That's a national recognition. Uh, well, actually, it's the Ohio Broadcasters. Oh, the Ohio Broadcasters. Yeah, okay. the Ohio Broadcasters Hall of Fame, yeah. Because uh, I really didn't have national exposure okay. as such. Okay. It was, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's for Ohio, Ohio, yeah, right? for Ohio. Uh, and uh, uh, Maria, well, I was obviously very, very honored and, and pleased too. And I think that probably the reason was because when I was at GAR, that's m mainly the reason I was the public uh, service director there. And, be, uh, and being the public service director, since I had a nighttime show, I was available during the daytime 
to go to uh, uh, public service functions, uh, whether it was something at the art museum or, or what have you, you know. And so I represented the, the radio station a lot in the community because of that. And, and I, I did the Channel 25 auction they do every springtime, you know, representing our station, such, those kind of things. So I was all over the place, really. And I, I used to get kidded by a lot of the other broadcasters. Oh, there's Szymanski again. He's doing that. He's doing. And, and because I was involved in so many community activities over the years, what happened was uh, somebody who was in the uh, uh, board of the, rock, uh, of the uh, uh, Broadcasters Hall of Fame uh, said, hey, uh, how about, uh, it was because of my public service work. That, that's the reason I got in there. So, and that was 1995. As a matter of the interesting thing, too, uh, the night I was inducted in October of 1995, it was the exact same night that in Nashville, uh, WGAR was being recognized by the CMA, Country Music Association, as the major market radio station of the year because they do their, wow. their awards in, uh, in October. And it was the exact same night. It was a Saturday night. No, no, it was. I'm, yeah, it was, I think it was a Saturday night. Uh, the exact same night that when I was in Cleveland uh, being inducted here, uh, we had representatives from our station in Nashville receiving the award. Uh, first time a radio station north of the Mason-Dixon line got the major market radio station of the year award for country music. And they did that in 1995. And then uh, they weren't eligible in 96, according to your rules. But in 97, they reapplied again and you do all kinds of things to, you know, to apply for it. And they won again a second time in 1997. So, so I was there both years when GAR got the major market station of the year from the CMA. Yeah. And so you're, you're retired now, right? From, from broadcast radio, yeah. And what have you been doing since you've retired? Well, I, I left uh, broadcast radio in 1990. Well, I left in 1998 GAR to, to come here to the Ohio Center for Broadcasting. So I've been here. So 98 makes it about 15 years that I've been here now at, uh, at uh, OCB. Uh, just kind of to to help those coming along now uh, get involved with what I was doing. Uh, you know, I, I I had a good uh, I had a good run. I enjoyed what I did, but my time is finished, and so now it's time for others to step into place. And if I, any way I can help, I'm willing to help. What kind of uh, words of encouragement could you offer for somebody trying to get into that? Okay, yeah. Uh, if you're trying to get into broadcasting, uh, a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, first of all, you have to have dedication. Uh, see, some people, uh, I see some people coming here, uh, when they walk into these doors, all they know about are radio disc jockeys and uh, TV news people. Yeah. That's the only idea they have about broadcasting, and so that's all they're thinking about. There are probably, uh, uh, you know, uh, 50, 60 different job functions you can get in this business that are all just as rewarding, just as fun uh, in the business as, as those two of uh, being a, a radio DJ or a news reporter on television. Uh, so the point is you have to come in here with an open mind knowing that there's a lot of job functions and then also you have to be willing to work for what you want. And that's true with any kind of job description, not just broadcasting. Any, any kind of a job you want to get involved with, uh, whether you want to get into banking, you want to get into uh, medicine or law or whatever it is, you've got to be, first of all, dedicated, willing to do just about anything, knowing you're going to start at the bottom and work your way up, okay? Uh, and a lot of people are, are maybe feel insulted or you're inferior. Oh, let me start at the bottom. Yeah, well, yeah, you got to start at the bottom. Practice, practice, practice. People getting down with DRP. Dirty reggae blunts, and we came to get down. Nagels dropping these sick bass lines all rolling through your town. Love the different scenes, and we love the different weed. Walking around, Franco wiping up our pot from little seeds. No, we play the show. Super upload, so roll up another fatty, and we'll continue to smoke. But I don't really know what you got to roll. Hoping that you pull out some fire, as and no. 
got my own lighter, you know I can match a bowl. Hoping that you're waiting with a joint after the show. Mr. Weed Man, don't do me wrong. Come on, Mr. Weed Man, help me sing my song. Mr. Weed Man, won't you fill my bong? Mr. Weed Man, I need some relaxation. Mr. Weed Man, don't do me wrong. Like Bob Marley, I'ma smoke it till my brain is gone. Mr. Weed Man, don't you roll with raw? Mr. Weed Man, I need that medication. But I don't really know what you got to roll. Hoping that you pull out some fire acid dough. Got my own lighter, you know I can match a bowl. Hoping that you're waiting with the joint after the show. Everybody solo! You got the roll, hoping that you pull out some fire acid dough. Got my own lighter, you know I can match a bowl. Hoping that there are no bubbles breaking our windows. But I don't really know what you got the roll. Hoping that you pull out some fire acid dough. Got my own lighter, you know I can match a bowl. Hoping that you're waiting with a joint after the show.